1: And a very good
3: Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. I have to say that story that is breaking, um, what happened in the early hours of the morning in Balingiri is just utterly heartbreaking and uh, tragic. We know, well, all oh, we know at this stage is that one woman, uh, I believe in her early 50s, has died. And the other two women, it seems the three of them were all chatting to each other prior to the collision, they've been taken to Cork University Hospital and they are both described as their injuries are very serious. Now, the driver, a man in his 40s and there was another passenger in that car, uh, they were uninjured and it's, it, it, it seemingly it's understood they were all known to each other. There'd been a funeral and a number of people had been attending the funeral and it happened in small, just after one in the village of uh, Balangiri. it's just to the people there and to the families that are involved our our thoughts and our prayers certainly with them uh, today it is really, really a shocking story uh, John Paul is off again today so Bernie's taking the calls if there's anything you want to share with us this morning you can to 0818 at 103 103 and I mentioned there in the weather forecast we've another cold day today, but it doesn't seem to be as bad as it was yesterday i honest to god i th- I got cold into my bones yesterday at one stage I had to I was doing the annual event of posting the Christmas cards, and then I needed to pop into the church to light uh, candles for the anniversary of a of an elderly lady. It was her anniversary yesterday, and I promised I'd light some candles and I swear to God I was inside in the church, and my hands were shaking. I had no gloves with me, I know what I was thinking of, but it was just. Big bitterly, bitterly cold and it was that freezing fog where I was. The freezing fog uh, lingered in some areas all day and it's actually named because it just chills you to the bones. So I wasn't surprised to read today that yesterday here in Ireland we experienced our lowest temperatures in 12 uh, years. The last time was that, do you remember the Christmas of 2010 when we had the big snow Well, temperatures yesterday, that was the last time we had temperatures that low. Now The lowest temperature on the island was minus nine degrees. That was in County Down. That was followed by Athenry in County Galway. Temperatures there were recorded at minus seven point. It was minus nine degrees. Sorry, in County Down, minus 7.2 degrees in uh, Galway. But that's a good bit off the all time record. The coldest conditions ever recorded in Ireland. You have to go back to 1881 when it went down to... Wait for this, minus 19.1 degree. And as somebody people would say, I was way before climate uh, change. So we're a long way off that particular target. Now, the orange weather warning for that freezing fog that I mentioned, that expired thankfully at midnight last night. There is a separate yellow low temperature warning and that does remain in place until Friday. But then Met Aaron are saying that the weekend we can expect some milder weather. So it looks like it is a short, sharp, cold snap. And as I say, it'll be gone by Friday. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. 103 The Taoiseach Hall Martin is a warning about a new era of stricter rules around social media and he says it is imminent and I certainly am glad to hear him say this and I know there will be a lot of other people as well I mean I love social media I I find it you know great to catch up with family and friends and keep contact with family and friends I'm a huge fan of Twitter to see what's going on but at times some of the commentary on social media can be absolutely septic and Mihol Martin in particular was speaking in the wake of the controversy surrounding the Tániste soon to be Taoiseach uh, Leo Varadkar over that video that was recorded in the nightclub. I couldn't believe actually when I first saw that video I just thought dear God like we are really how far are we gone that somebody can't even be out in a nightclub and the person gets uh, video, gets videoed and then it gets shared and course it gets shared tens of thousands of times. Now, Miho Martin was giving an interview to the Indo Daily podcast and he has condemned the intrusion into Leo Varadkar's private life, saying what happened was a breach of privacy fundamentally. He said, I do not accept in the world of social media. It is an ever-present reality, perhaps our danger. But what would concern Miho Martin is the degree to which it could defer people from getting involved in politics yeah and people will look at what Leo Varadkar has had to go through since that video went public and if anybody was thinking of maybe going into politics you think oh do I really need that or I really need to bring that on myself Micheál Martin's intervention comes of course after Leo Varadkar conceded that he has made errors in judgement when he was asked about the video but he was also asked about the the ongoing fallout from his decision to leak the confidential documents remember, to his GP Uh, friend at the time and he says everybody makes errors in judgement. He said you can't be a human being if you don't but he said I hope says Leo when it comes to the big decisions whether it was the reaction to the pandemic whether it was Brexit whether it was managing the economy he said I hope at all of those times that I made the right uh, decisions and of course I'm assuming most people have seen the video that was posted initially on TikTok of Leo Radker in the nightclub and of course it was viewed millions of times before it was removed and of course it was It wasn't just shared on TikTok. I saw it up on on Twitter and people were sharing it on Facebook posts as well. Mio Martin said he believes society had not fully worked out what the impact of social media would be on our lives or the public debate or politics. He says, I think we're now entering into a new era where there will be far more regulation of social media platforms. And can I say not before time? He said there was legislation pending relating to the country's first social media regulator and the forthcoming EU directive which will be introduced that will introduce stricter rules for tech firms that operate on any of the online platforms. However, he did say that social media users also needed to be held accountable for their behaviour. And I think that's, that's always been the problem with social media. People think they can say and do what they like and that they're going to get away with it and they're never going to be picked up for it. So I do, I do think that the, the the social media users and the people who post up anything like that, an invasion of somebody's privacy or post of really vile comments, they should be held to account. Mio Martin says, I think a lot of companies are doing a lot of work to try and take down hate speech. Uh, he said, try to get a lot of that material taken down, but get it taken down as quickly as, possi- as possible. Uh, but I think there has to be a responsibility on individuals and in society as well. He said the government would need to spend huge resources to fund an online media regulator, which has been worked on by the media minister, of course that is Catherine Martin. The Taoiseach said he read some of the online comments about himself and his own government. And he said, look, I look at it from a research perspective. I also look at it to investigate where certain lines of attack are coming from, but he said he always hoped that his family were immune from the abuse that he was receiving online. But he says he, he did concede that every now and again his family will contact him when they saw certain comments. You don't say, you know? And I'm assuming it's the children saying, "Hi, Dad. Did you see what so and so wrote about you? did you see this on a various social media post?" And he says, "I've always said to them from day one, ignore it and try not to watch Twitter and Facebook." But he said they do. You know, they're young people as well. He said, but the one thing that really worries him uh, at times is the degree to which you can influence thinking almost without people realising it and that's the danger of social media somebody sees something posted up on social media and many times it can be complete and utter lies you know fabricated story and just because people see it in print or see it up online oh it must be true and you know over the years I've had discussions with people where they'll quote something and I'll say where did you see that oh I saw it up online and then when you dig down into it it's a completely fabricated story so people need to be very careful as well about what they actually read online and how much of it you actually uh, believe. And just actually staying with the government talks about the cabinet reshuffle. It's now, according to political commentators in all of the papers today, it seems, looks like it's going to go down to the wire. It could go down to as close as late on Friday night. And that's because there's, there's a hectic agenda going on. And of course, let's not forget, there is a key EU summit. The three party leaders in government, that's the current Taoiseach for another few days, Michał Martin the Thornish, the of Varadkar, who we just mentioned, and the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan. Now, they did meet last night. There, but there's a really busy cabinet agenda and because of that it meant they had no time to take a look at what kind of a reshuffle they're going to have within the cabinet. The leaders will have to conclude their deliberations though once Michal Martin returns from his final EU summit in Brussels that's happening on Friday and then of course Saturday we've got this very historic changeover of the Taoiseach's role that has never before happened in this country. Leo Varadkar has made it clear he will not no, the final makeup of the cabinet until Friday evening. He says it could even go down to uh, Saturday morning. So I'm interested in your thoughts on what ministers do you think are going to remain in place? Will we see some of the ministers demoted? Are some of them not up to the job? Will some of them get moved? Will they move sideways from one department to another department? You know political commentators are suggesting while it had been desired by Fina Gale, there are some suggestions that Fina Fall will hold on to the agricultural portfolio and that Fina Gale will hang on to the rural affairs brief. Now, much speculation about uh, Miho Martin. He has kept his cards very close to his chest. But the widespread belief is that Micheál Martin on Saturday will step down as Taoiseach and that he'll move into the Department of Foreign Affairs. If he does that, that means he'll be replacing uh, the current Minister for Foreign Affairs who's Fina Gael's Simon Coveney and it's expected what will happen to Simon Coveney is he'll replace Leo Varadkar Where's Leo Varadkar at the moment he's in the Department of Enterprise and obviously he'll be stepping up to Taoiseach so his department then will move to uh, Simon Coveney. That's as much as the speculation that's going on at uh, the moment but as I say I'm interested in your thoughts. We are going to have some, well we're certainly going to some kind of a reshuffle because we're certainly swapping over Taoiseach's. Uh, so will there be any more swapping over those portfolios or will some people ask to step down completely and hand over the portfolio to somebody else? Your thoughts are welcomed on that, particularly on which of the ministers do you think are doing really well and should be left in place? 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 086 103 103 John says the politicians are afraid of social media as they can't control it yeah but they've got a right to their privacy as well and their private life uh, John and that's where social media uh, can become very very dangerous Jerry in Middleton reckons Micheál Martin stepping down and on step, one stepping in and one stepping out he reckons there should be election he feels Fianna Fáil and Fina Gael he doesn't mention the Greens he reckons they failed on housing and on health he said we should let a woman lead to the country. Mary Lou, he feels, would do a much better job. Well, there isn't a sniff of an election in the air at the moment. Uh, Jerry, we're just going to rotate the Taoiseach. So, Garthi investigating the 1996 murder of Sophie Tuscón de Plantier in West Cork have issued a renewed appeal for information about the French film producer's death. It's now almost 26 years since Sophie's body was discovered at an isolated laneway leading to her holiday home near Skull in West Cork. Her murder remains unsolved. Irish independent journalist Ralph Regal, who of course wrote a book a couple of years ago about the murder called A Dream of Death, which I highly recommend, uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Ralph. Good morning, Patricia. And, and welcome. And I know I've asked you this before, but I'm going to go again with it. Do you feel this murder will ever be solved?
2: Um, The guards yesterday were, were quite insistent that there was enormous effort being put into it. And in fact, probably one of the the, the most cutting um, remarks that was made was by um, one of the, the there was Superintendent Joe Moore and Detective Superintendent Des McTiernan of the Serious Crime Review um, Team. They 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 led the, um, the the press conference yesterday, and one of the remarks was, "It's time to solve this," because one of the journalists that was present. Um, ask the question, look, it's 26 years on. I mean, why now? Why all of this emphasis? And I have to say, it, it really was um, remarkable to see it yesterday. There was such a significant gathering of journalists, TV crews, radio reporters. Um, you had a major presence. I mean, I, I haven't seen that presence of Gardaí, um at a specific Sophie Toscan de Plontier press conference in West Cork, really, since about 1997 and uh, 98. So you're talking that level of a renewed focus on the case, certainly in public terms. Now, the guards will always say this, it's always been an open and live investigation. They've always been working on this. But to see such a public focus being placed on the case, I think is a reflection of a number of things. Um, the Garda investigation has definitely been boosted by the publicity, of course, we've had five books published on it. We have one podcast. We have two major documentaries. Of course, you had the Netflix series and you had Jim Sheridan um, series, which was done for Sky Sky Television. And they brought an international dimension to the case. And what has happened there is that the guards are getting information from overseas that is considered to be new. So one of the major revelations yesterday was that the guard have new witnesses in the UK in France, and uh, beyond. Now, we understand that other country is the United States, but it wasn't stressed yesterday. So that's one major element of why there's such a focus on it now. But I think the other major element is that things have been building since 2019. And of course, anyone who'd listened to your show would know, I mean, you have had regular updates on this, that in May 2019, uh, Ian Bailey, um, a British freelance journalist, a law graduate, and poet, he was convicted in absentia by a Paris court of the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier, and received a 25-year prison sentence. Now, he has always protested his innocence. He described the Paris prosecution as a travesty and a show trial. And the Irish court have, on three separate occasions, refused to extradite him to France on the basis of French uh, arrest warrants and extradition warrants. So I think really since 2019 we've been building up to this point That's a very long-winded way of answering your question. The the Guardi believe it will be solved and they're working hard to do that. I'm still not convinced because I think what came out yesterday was 26 years is a very, very long time. There are no eyewitnesses. There's no major forensic evidence as yet, but the Guards are saying they're using new technology in that regard. And I suppose one thing you have to point out as well, one of the major consequences of the passage of time, there are 10 witnesses and Gardaí who were involved in the original investigation who are now deceased. And that can only impede and frustrate the investigation. So much as I would like to see justice done for the family, I still, I have my doubts.
3: And is there still a belief, and, and did you get a sense from the Gardaí, that there are people living locally who, for whatever reason have information, but have never come forward with it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think Superintendent Joe Moore spoke very eloquently yesterday, and in great detail about that. And what he said was that he's 100% satisfied, 100% sure that there are people in West Cork who have information about the circumstances of Sophie Toscan de Plantier's murder, a very brutal murder, who have not come forward to Gardaí, or who may have come forward to Gardaí, but have not told them everything that they know. And he said that could be for a number of reasons. It could be that people had that position in their lives in 1996, 97, 98. They may not have felt able to give that information. But he said that they may be now in a different position in their life and they may be able to help Gardy. and he appealed to them to come forward. And there was a number of specific lines of appeal. I think Sophie had hired a silver Ford Fiesta car So what they were saying was that anyone who saw that car on the two main roads in West Cork over that period is asked to contact Gardaí, but specifically anyone who had any contact at all, whether they saw Sophie in the distance, whether they might have just exchanged words with her on the street, or whether they may have heard something between 4.30 p.m. on December the 22nd and 10 a.m. on December the 23rd, 1996, They're asked to contact them because while Sophie did speak to her husband, Daniel, late on the evening of December the 22nd, they really don't have any timeline for who she spoke to, who she might have met, who was in the vicinity. That particular timeline, they're desperate to try and get further details on.
3: Were Sophie's family uh, mentioned, I'm wondering, um, were they aware of this renewed appeal for information yesterday?
2: Yeah, they they were very much aware of it and that was one of the questions that was actually put to Detective Superintendent McTiernan Tiernan what, about the fact that look, you know does he feel under pressure I think that was the question that was put to him does he feel under pressure from Sophie's family uh, to achieve something now, to explain I suppose to your listeners and it's an important point the reason why there were two senior officers there yesterday is on the one hand, you have a live and ongoing murder investigation, which is being led by Superintendent Joe Moore uh, out of Bantry Garda Station. But on the other hand, you also have a cold case review, which is running. And that cold case review was launched um, both after a lot of the, the campaigners for Sophie wanted the evidence looked at again, and they wanted the cold case review team, who are, are specialists in going back over old cases and looking to see is there is there fresh evidence? Is there, is there something new technology-wise that we could bring to this case to maybe deliver a breakthrough? And they've had phenomenal success in terms of doing that. And Superintendent McTiernan explained yesterday that the whole concept of this cold case review actually arose out of the Yorkshire Ripper case in the UK. Yeah. So it's the idea of bringing expertise, looking back on old files was something missed could something be followed up? Is there new technology that might offer an, an advantage? But but Superintendent McTiernan was went to great lengths to stress the, the review of the original murder file and it's, it's all encompassing. It will not interfere with the ongoing investigation. And he said what he hopes is that it will offer salient and beneficial recommendations when they eventually come to their their, their, their the end of their investigation. But he said specifically when he was asked about Sophie's family, he said no. I don't feel under any pressure from Sophie's family. They have been absolutely brilliant in terms of their support for us. And he also stressed, I'm not putting any pressure on my team in terms of time. He said this will take as long as it will take.
3: And we're 10 days now away from what will be the 26th anniversary of uh, Sophie's death. Do we know, will the family travel from France for the anniversary this year?
2: No. We, we don't understand that they will. Now, of course, for many, many years, in fact, I've been on your, your, your show how many times over the years talking yeah. about George and Marguerite Booney, all Sophie's parents. Um, even onto the point where they were very, very elderly, they would come over and they would stay in the more cottage that, of course, Sophie described as her dream holiday home. And they would walk down the hilly path from the cottage to a simple Celtic uh, stone cross, which is inscribed with the word Sophie. And they would lay a wreath of white lilies uh, which were Sophie's favourite flowers, they would lay them at that um, memorial. The, the, the cross was erected at exactly the spot where her body was discovered on, at 10 a.m. on December the 23rd, 1996, and then they would usually go to an anniversary mass in nearby Goline And we understand that there will be a private family mass in Paris and that there may be some ceremonies in, um, in Skull uh, from friends and supporters of the truth Ass Off which is the the truth uh, and camp- the truth campaign uh, for, for Sophie Toski and de Blond-G.
3: Okay it's so. hard to believe 26 years on uh, we're still talking about this case and it still hasn't been uh, solved as always uh, Ralph a pleasure uh, chatting with you in a case I don't speak to you before Christmas have a great one
2: and Merry Christmas to you
3: too. Thanks, Thanks a million. Bye bye. That is Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent but also author of a book about the murder of Sophie Tuscón de Plantier called A Dream of Death. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Bernie, taking the calls, text WhatsApp Oh eight six two. 103 103. And a WhatsApp in from Michael in Castletown Bear following my chat with Ralph Regal on the Sophie Cundre case I'm Patricia hi, Good to hear Ralph on the programme this morning. Rock solid as usual. Brilliant summarising of the case to date and his prognosis is never far off the mark. Yes great detail is essential in reporting. Thanking you and that's from Michael in Castletown Bear and thank you Michael for your WhatsApp. Ralph will be delighted to hear that. Now as we mentioned yesterday on our news Cork Airport is expecting to welcome over 135,000 arriving and departing passengers between now and the 6th of January and to get a feel of what it's going to be like at Ireland's second busiest airport this Christmas I'm joined by Barry Holland who is Cork Airport's communication manager. Good morning to you Barry. Good
4: morning. Uh,
3: And you're welcome. Now for, for some families this will be the first Christmas, won't it in three years flying in and out of Cork Airport because of course COVID restrictions have been lifted.
4: Absolutely. You cast your mind back 12 months ago, and there was restrictions such as locator farms. Passengers arriving into the country would have had to present a negative PCR or antigen test. So the fact that the COVID restrictions have now gone means that there's fully unencumbered travel for people arriving into Cork this year.
3: And for some, they won't have seen family. For th- in some cases, for for three years.
4: Perhaps so, yeah. and even some for some even longer. So there's a very warm welcome on the mat for passengers that will be arriving back, depending on however long they've been away for. Yeah. There'll be a very warm welcome here at Cork Airport and when what, they do return. And
3: what has the passenger recovery been like since the pandemic, Barry?
4: Passenger recovery has really taken off in earnest this year, Patricia. Uh, there's been a very solid recovery in the year 2022. So at the start of the year, there was a forecast made that Cork Airport would welcome 1.8 million passengers over the year 2022. But over the course of the year and with the rebound in international travel and the removal of last remaining restrictions, we're now looking at welcoming 2.2 million passengers. So there's a 400,000 passenger uplift there from what we predicted at the start of the year to what we'll see by the end of the year.
3: That's incredible. That's incredible. And what is the airport like? Is, Is it very festive?
4: It's extremely festive. (laughs) As I'm speaking to you, Castle Martyr National School are on site and they're performing Christmas carols for the arriving passengers coming in from London Heathrow, from Manchester and from Amsterdam this morning. So each morning, each weekday morning, we have a school choir and then at the weekends then we have other choirs performing in our specially constructed Christmas stage, which is located in the arrivals area at Cork Airport. So it adds that festive touch people when they arrive yeah. or for people when they arrive but also as well that the terminal building is well decked out in Christmas decorations both in the baggage hall and across right through the main concourse here Landside so it's extremely festive and we're delighted to be able to do that because as you, you've you just mentioned it's the first real Christmas yeah. where people can actually come into the airport building welcome people there'll be no social distancing no mask wearing so it's great People people are eagerly looking forward to it and for airport staff as well Christmas is a very it's a very important time of the year, and they
3: love it. Yeah, and I love the idea of the choirs. I think that's a, a that's a lovely initiative that you do because there's nothing like hearing choirs singing Christmas carols and to and to hear you say that, that some of the, the, the local schools are involved. You know, it, it, there's something magical about that. There
4: is. As one emerges from the doors in the arrivals area, just to hear the sound of Christmas carols yeah. in the in the terminal building, you know it it adds that extra special festive touch to it. So we're it's it's a initiative that was brought in a number of years ago, and we're incredibly proud of it and looking forward to continuing into the years ahead.
3: You mentioned the staff at at the airport. For the staff, I'm assuming it must be wonderful for them, the ones that can witness the family reunions, especially at this time of year. Some of them can be very
4: emotional. They can be, and it's a bit like the, the scenes of love actually at the start of the movie <laughs> <laughs> where they're all coming through the arrival doors in Heathrow airport it's not it's not similar here in any case, Patricia, and I think Cork Airport down through the years has played a very important part in welcoming families home invariably, airports can be very happy places, you know if people are heading off on their summer holidays or if they're heading off for visiting friends or family, but also in this instance when people are returning home at Christmas time. It's a very emotional time but a very happy time. It's yeah. happy emotion.
3: Yeah, I told the story earlier in advance of you coming on being at the airport and I love people watching him at the airport and watching a man with a huge bouquet of flowers standing at the arrivals gate and he was. you could see he was a bit tense and a bit anxious and he was scanning all the faces as everybody was coming coming through and I was like, God, I wonder if he got the ring with him. I was convinced he was going to pop the question <laughs> and next one of your wonderful staff at the airport on wheelchair assist came out with his grandmother. <laughs> oh, no, Sid, and it was just the most beautiful scene and he had plunked this huge bouquet of flowers on the woman's lap and it was just gorgeous. It was just absolutely gorgeous. Now, for those who are planning on travelling out of Cork a- a Airport and, and heading away for Christmas, maybe to be with family and friends and maybe just getting away for a sunshine holiday and away from this cold uh, weather, what are you recommending the amount of time to, uh, before arriving for your flight?
4: Oh, over the course of the next, Week or so, or week and a half leading up to Christmas. It's going to be a very busy time here at Cork Airport. But I suppose to make sure that passengers have the most pleasant airport experience as possible, what Cork Airport would recommend is that passengers who are intending to travel would arrive between 90 minutes and two hours before their flight is due to depart. Now, if they are checking in a bag, we then ask that they allow sufficient time to do that also, in addition to the times that we've outlined. A Cork Airport passenger security screening is very efficient. 95% of our passengers clear security in less than 15 minutes. 99% clear security in less than 20 minutes. We'd also recommend that passengers refer to the Cork Airport website for very helpful tips on how to prepare for passenger security screening. And importantly, at Christmas time, we'd ask that passengers do not wrap gifts or presents because they could be subject to inspection by the security officers at passenger security screening, and then finally then unknown circumcirc- on no uncertain circumstances. Would Christmas crackers be allowed on board an airport?
3: I, I, I never knew that. You're not allowed to bring Christmas crackers. And that's well, because of the banger thing in the middle, is it?
4: That's
3: right. It's yeah. is, is, is explosive. Oh, yeah, yeah, but still, it, it okay, it's, 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 it's on one, one, one worth airport. mentioning. Uh, somebody says a question for Barry at Cork Airport. Why can't people waiting to collect somebody even get a cup of coffee? Uh, sometimes when it's so busy, there's only one cafe uh, open. Otherwise, it's an absolutely fantastic airport. Now, you have a little bit, a bit of good news about that, about the arrivals.
4: Patricia, just this week we've uh, opened a new uh, cafe here in the Arrivals area, Lemon Pepper, operated by Baxter Storic. It has been opened since last Wednesday and it's offering fresh sandwiches, teas and coffees, hot and cold food, salads, uh, sweet treats, etc. And it's open in the Arrivals area, so it's just in time for the busy Christmas period. So passengers will be able to avail of a hot cup of tea or coffee if they wish when they arrive. But also as well, meter greeters will also be able to avail of the hospitality in on offer at Lemon Pepper, the new cafe in the Ray okay. area.
3: Good good luck to them. And I and I think particularly when you're waiting for somebody to come home for Christmas, I think people just to get into the excitement, people arrive earlier so they need they need the teas and the coffees while they're waiting. What about the restaurant upstairs at departures? Is is that open yet? It Barry? is absolutely is it? okay.
4: So Food Republic is open and serving hot breakfasts and lunches. Um, and it is doing extraordinarily well. I know there were some challenges at the start of the year yeah. when we started to build back up post pandemic. You know, we were experiencing you know some issues with our contractor or with our concessionaires rather that they would um, particularly around the staffing arrangements. But thankfully, the airport has been engaging on with those concessionaires on a very regular basis to ensure that the uh, service offering has is back to its pre-pandemic conferring. That is brilliant. we're working all the time and making sure that all the food and beverage outlets at the yeah. Upper Patricia are open and serving.
3: That is brilliant to hear and I know air traffic control are already, uh, already working on Santa's flight pass for Christmas Eve which is the important one for the smallies. Listen uh, Barry, thank you for that. Have a wonderful Christmas to you and everybody at uh, Cork oh, Airport. Likewise, and thanks for taking time out to talk to us today. Uh, good morning to you. That is Barry Holland who is the Cork Airport's communication uh, manager and if you're heading to the airport as I say there's just some of the most gorgeous gorgeous scenes. Now just very sad scenes after Christmas when loved ones have to go back but in the meantime if you're going up enjoy and uh, welcome home to anyone who's already arrived we hope you have a fantastic Christmas ski with us in Cork Oh uh, wait, 103, 103 somebody's been on when I was, just, I was just talking about the weather saying does anybody know what are the road conditions like from Bantir to Cork? The person is wondering has the road been gritted and I know the gritties were definitely out early this morning I had a very short commute to work uh, this morning and the roads were uh, fine Uh, because it's not freezing as hard here in Cork as it is it seems to be in other parts of the country I heard Alan O'Reilly of Carlow Weather mentioned that on the news with uh, Barry uh, but listen I put the shout out has anybody travelled from Bantier to Cork this morning and were the road conditions okay because somebody obviously nervous about travelling I do know that Bantier bingo is off tonight in a, because of the weather they've decided to cancel so there isn't a bingo going on in Bantier but I'm unsure of the roads if anybody can help us so we can pass on the information please to that listener and then my thanks to Councillor Declan Hurley in West Cork who's been on to say Patricia could you please ask people to turn their taps off some people leave their taps on in the hope that it will avoid freezing pipes but by leaving your taps on it's actually draining the system all over West Cork and they don't want to end up in a situation in the Council in Irish Water where water outages will happen due to low, low supply now Declan in his message to us says it is hard to believe at this time of year particularly after all the weeks of rain that they could end up in a situation where there will be water outages due to low supply but unfortunately the water levels they're being managed very very carefully they keep a very close eye on them and they have noticed that they're dropping and they reckon one of the reasons that people are leaving taps on during this cold spell so please 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 don't do that because that is the last thing certainly the last thing anyone wants is to have any kind of water outages now can I give a shout out to the gang at the Act of Kindness page in Mallow. This is a fantastic Facebook uh, community and some of the administrators were on to me yesterday just to, asking me to say thank you to people who got involved with donating to the Secret Santa and they anonymously match people. Uh, you, if you wanted to get involved in it, you'd be given the name of uh, or the age of a child and maybe what the child was interested in and boy or girl, whatever it was and you went away and you bought a present and it's, it's a Secret Santa and people who got involved in that actually dropped off their Secret Santas to the Blue Cube in Mallow last Saturday and it is this uh, Saturday the 17th is the day that the families of the children will come and collect the children's Secret Santa parcel so a big thank you to everybody who helped out in any way and the admin staff at the Act of Kindness page want to say thank you to the Blue Cube for facilitating them over the two uh, Saturdays. Unfortunately they say the book is now closed for the Secret Santa they can't take any more requests for this year but they do suggest if any listeners would like to join what is their Eleven thousand plus members on the Act of Kindness Mallow page on Facebook. Please do, and the whole idea of this page is to help spread kindness in the community. And it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, initiative. So, and that comes in from the administrators at the Act of Kindness page in Mallow. And can I say big shout out to them? They do incredible work behind the scenes. And a happy Christmas. And a, a prosperous new year for everybody involved in the Act of Kindness page in Mallow. Now, some of your texts coming in. Oh, thank you to Jarring Coachford. Says, I think there's another scam doing the rounds. I got a text from the HSC saying I was a close contact with somebody who had COVID. They wanted me to pay for the postage to get the tests quicker. The text looked very well done, but I'm not a close contact with anyone thanking you. Yeah, 100% that is a scam, Ger. The it, it kind of disappeared for a while and then it came back again and it literally is doing the rounds. There's almost, I'd say nearly a couple of times a week for sure, we get in, somebody sending us on the text and it looks, it absolutely looks like it's coming from the HSE. And in some cases on people's mobile phones, they'll, it'll come in uh, on the thread that they would have got genuine texts from The HSE and people really get fooled by it. And remember, in case you didn't hear about it, we had one of our listeners who got caught because they thought the text was genuine, clicked on the link agreed to pay the postage. Of course, it's a very small amount of money. They look for €2,000 cleared out of their bank uh, account. They were so upset about it, particularly in the run-up to Christmas. So please be careful. So yes, absolutely it's a scam. Just uh, delete it. And then Martin in West Cork was on to say, Patricia, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard that Qatar and the uh, FIFA spent $200 billion on this year's Soccer World Cup. They say that if just... 5% of that $200 billion was spent on those who were suffering from hunger in countries, it would solve a lot of the problems. There's ads on TV and radio saying they need our help because there's so many people starving in other countries. We in this country are generous and we do contribute to uh, so many of these desperate cases coming out from other countries. But it's the wealthier countries and the organisations who really need to step up to the plate and we could eradicate world Hunger completely. We are an intelligent, educated world. Thanking you, says Martin in West Cork. How right you are, Martin. And when we think of people starving, it's hard to believe that there are people literally starving uh, to death in other countries. That statistic all one piece of stats that I got a number of years ago. Every now and again I check it to see is it still relevant, is it still true and it is that as a world globally we produce enough food to feed the world three times over, yet a third of the population uh, go to bed hungry. A third of the population are actually starving. There's so much food wastage as well. And um, you, know, you can have very wealthy countries. And then you've got on the other end of the scale, absolute and complete uh, poverty, But yet the amount of money that has been spent by Qatar on this World World Cup. I think a lot of people would agree with you uh, Martin the word the word immoral may even come into it when you think of how many people are suffering in other countries and the amount of suffering that went on in order for Qatar to actually host the World uh, Cup Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. and a lovely text in from Ellen to say Seasons greetings Patricia I just received a bundle of Christmas cards and a long awaited parcel from my postman it has brightened up my day no end and I want to acknowledge the Hard work that everyone involved in On Post does, especially at this time of the year, and especially this week in terrible, terrible weather conditions. We are very grateful and we appreciate each and every one of them. Thanking you, Suzanne. Glad to give that a mention. And actually the postman, the young postman who calls to us here at the radio station every morning, and I was just saying to him again, bitter yes, I felt so sorry for him because it was just bitterly cold. And even this morning he said, Oh, it's a little bit better. I think it was one degrees rather than it being minus six when he called yesterday in all kinds of weather and you're right they do absolutely amazing work they do amazing work all year but this of course for the postmen and postwomen this is their busiest time of the year so we acknowledge each and every one of them and we do appreciate them and say a huge huge uh, thank you and just if you are waiting on something arriving in in the post say from the UK now I have been mentioning that there's a postal strike going on in the UK and actually one of our listeners in Southampton has been keeping us updated on the postal strike in England and only yesterday I had an email in it telling us the, the latest on it and there's so much of a backlog because there's, there's two days this week now where they're on strike in the UK and there are two days next week, I think there was two days last week but of course with every strike day then there's a backlog of posts and a backlog of posts and they literally have storerooms full of posts and they're actually now saying for anyone who has posted Christmas cards to England that it could be February before those Christmas cards arrive. So there will be a lot of people disappointed. But I read in the papers today that thousands of items are being sent back to the UK in the post daily from us here in Ireland. And this is because the British Postal Service is refusing to do the customs checks. Now, this is nothing to do with the strike action at the Royal Mail. This is to do with the customs checks that needs to be done. And anyone who, certainly in the run up to Christmas or in the last year has had to post any kind of a parcel over to England you will know when you arrive at the post office you won't be running in and out getting your stamp sticking it on your parcel and sending it off there's a big rigmarole involved now and it's all to do with the customs checks and I always feel for the post office staff because it's our post office staff have to fill in all these forms stick them onto all the, the parcels you have to give them your your air code, you have to say how much is the parcel worth, you've got to say what's inside in the parcel and they've all of these forms uh, to fill in and obviously the same thing should be happening on the other side in anybody bringing items to the post office in, in-, in the UK and sending it over here but they're not doing it and of course they arrive then um, and they're Technically, they're outside the EU, so On post, has no choice but they've got to send it all back. And it's the CEO of Amposta, a gentleman by the name of David Mac Redmond. He's criticising the UK government for what he says is a post. Brexit crisis. It's led to a 52% drop in customers using the post to send deliveries between the UK and Ireland and it's contributing to a collapse in the postal trade between Ireland and uh, England. And it's also forced on post They simply have to return thousands upon thousands of parcels to the UK every single day. And the problem now seemingly is so acute at this time of the year when thousands of companies are relying on the Postal Service to fulfil Christmas orders. It's just becoming a bit of a nightmare for Unpost as well. And in the letter section of the Financial Times, David Redmond, CEO, of On Post said that the British Postal Service has a responsibility to ensure the trade is facilitated. He said the UK Post Office have refused to implement the necessary, symptoms, uh, necessary sy- systems to comply with the new EU customs rules that apply to the UK after Brexit and the UK government appears uninterested consequently at On Post. They're now returning thousands of items every single day back to the UK. Why? They're failing the EU customs uh, check. And he added the level of disruption now for the small and medium sized enterprises has caused many of them to simply not bother trading uh, with England. And it seems that it's the postmasters in England. They're not doing the work that our postmasters and post staff are doing here. But they do say that they support customers and that they've got posters up and they've got guides up it, trying to help and show customers what they need to do. and that they. Need to complete the necessary paperwork. So what they're saying is that that if somebody has a parcel coming from the UK into Ireland, they're trying to tell the customers they need to fill in all the forms themselves and then go along to the post office with all the forms done. But of course, they're not doing that. And when somebody arrives... They just take the money for the postage. They don't fill in any of the forms and then they arrive into on post and on post has to send them back. And the EU and the UK are still, of course, disagreeing on the implementation of the Northern Ireland protocol. And that lies at the heart of much of this uh, dispute. So it could affect family members as well. If you've loved ones in England who maybe every year send you a parcel, if that parcel doesn't arrive this year, it could be for two reasons. One reason could be to do with the postal strike with the Royal Mail but the second would could be that the parcel arrived into Ireland but then got shipped back because it doesn't have all of the customs clearance and all the forms on it. 0818 103 103 Bernie continues to take your calls. She's sitting in for John Paul. You can text her WhatsApp oh eight six two. 103
0: 103. C103 jobs.
2: With the new Charleville Nursing Home. Find their current available positions at molumhealthcare.com forward slash
3: careers. Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. They're hiring seasonal bar staff. It's to work over the Christmas period. Contact Kieran at 022. 58200 an office manager with a minimum of five years experience is required for Mill Street a drone pilot is also required is an unusual job for further information on either of those positions CVs please and a cover letter to hr at monsterdroneservices.com an electrician wanted for Cork City and County now a van will be supplied you need to contact info at hepburn.ie And Southern Tree Services are looking for a freelance grounds operative to work with a busy tree surgery in Cork. Call Owen at 086 066 0269. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now this is a proud moment. He can walk tall and walk proud today. That was the quote from Chernobyl campaigner Adie Roach last week. Following the government's decision to formally exonerate her brother Donal who was forced to retire from the Defence Forces more than 50 years ago. And I'm delighted to say Aidy Roach joins me to discuss that decision and what it has meant to Donal and indeed to her entire family. Good morning to you, Aidy.
0: Oh good morning, Patricia. Uh, uh, do you know what? It's such a gorgeous. Just your introduction there now put a real smile on my face. Gosh. Because for so many years, like I, you know, we there are so many tears have been cried and so much hurt and suffering all of that time. But to finally have reached the end of the road with such a positive outcome, it's yeah. just extraordinary. Because
3: because over the years, whenever we privately spoke about what had happened yeah. to Donald, there was always yeah. this veil of. Sadness used to come over you. You could see it in in your eyes. Talk to me about how your whole family was affected by this wrongdoing.
0: Oh my God, Patricia, I can remember I would have been about maybe 11 at the time in 1969 when this all uh, kicked off. And just can you imagine now, in a, it, we, we were reared in the country. We were reared in Clamell and Tiberi. And our, our parents had been so proud when Donald got the famous call to the cadets. He was a young officer, um, you know, got his bit of promotion. We were all there at the commissioning in Kildare. So, like, it was a proud moment. And, you know, mum and dad talking to all the neighbours and friends about their son in the army and everything. And then all of a sudden, my parents' world shattered. Well, Donal's world, of course, shattered too, but for my parents, it was just sort of almost like um, a shame, a dark shadow kind of fell over the family. And my father and mother differed in their approach to what happened. Like my mother loved her firstborn, her white-haired boy, Donald, and she believed in her son that she had carried. And my father, because he could never think that the state or his hero, De Valera, could do any wrong actually believed the state and it caused huge friction within our direct family, but also within our wider family. And like my mother, Patricia, one of my memories from that time is going into our little kitchen in Camel and seeing my mother bent over the kitchen table, surrounded by papers, as she wrote letter after letter to ministers, to presidents, to Tishig, to anyone of influence to help her son. And actually, Patricia, that went on into her 80s until she died when it was my kitchen table in Cork. She was still writing letters. God love her. And yeah. actually,
3: I, she was the one person that I, I thought of when, when I watched you ah. uh, stand outside at Leinster House. And, yeah. and it was, you know, lovely to see as the family. You could see the relief had been lifted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I thought of your mother and, and oh. how... I, I'm yeah. sure you felt her presence, but how oh, I wish definitely. she could have been there.
0: Well, Patricia, one of the things we want to do in the New Year is we're going down to St. Bridget's Cemetery, not far there from from um, uh and on the road to Liscarl, where uh, it all began, our whole our family roots there. We're going to go down the four of us, and we're going to go around our parents' grave, and we're going to sing a beautiful song in Irish called "Shamoleach Maghilemar," which is about you know my my hero. And um, we're going to do that, like to kind of say to our parents that, you know, justice has been done. And Patricia, we actually chose very carefully where we made the statement and where Donald finally said his sentence or two because he's been so traumatized by it all. He's still very emotional. But we wanted to stand outside our own Irish seat of democracy, our doll Aaron. Because that is the place where the injustice and the wrongdoing of the decision made in 1969 happened. And we wanted to come back full circle, standing outside the centre of Irish democracy, and to say that justice had been done and the justice, the rebalance, if you like, of the injustice was happening um, that day. And Patricia, in 53 years, I mean, that's like a double life sentence. And I often said to people that when De Valera signed the famous paper, like, um, you know, which disgraced Donal, um, it was actually like a, a living death because it was like a death warrant, except he was still alive. And like we still say to this day that... Donald was denied, which, of course, the findings were in his favour. Um, he was denied due process. There was no charge, no trial, no conviction, and most of all, no evidence. So there was no justice ever done. And I, over the years, my mother tried her best, God love her. And in the back gardening, Clamella Laws remembers, she burned everything in the end because she gave up. Uh, but then she rekindled again later, but she burned his army uniform everything to do with the army because she just felt that, you know, he just something terrible, a wrongdoing had happened um, to him. And, you know, it only happened, I suppose, Patricia, even though we rarely talk about it, but at right the time I met my own bit of Waterloo in 1997 um, during the presidential campaign, and it was dragged up that time. And that, that dragging up, actually, Patricia, Caused my brother to have a complete breakdown, God and that lasted him. for a very long time. Because he smear. felt
3: he felt it was his fault that Absolutely. you were getting dragged That's into this dreadful exactly. smear campaign.
0: That's exactly what he felt. But what it did for him, which is really interesting, um, you know, to look on. now he eventually was diagnosed as a result of what happened uh, and how he dropped into a, a, a you know, a, a, an abyss of a black hole. Um, he was diagnosed with PTSD because, you see, he—it was never dealt with at the time. Like he was interrogated for two long months, in the middle of which a revolver was put in front of him and said, "Well, you do the right thing. You're destroying your family." Another time, he was told under in, in interrogation that his mother had a, had a massive heart attack and that it was all his fault. And that he should do the right thing I and mean, he and, and he's, he's what
3: he's a 23 24 year old that's young gone. man yeah yeah and and, it's, and, it's and now what, what do you well, he he Sorry. was a target of a campaign of reprisal wasn't he? he he had stood up to an army officer
0: well I mean th- the thing is that's only we say like one of the theories um that it was a a, a drunken senior officer or senior commandant. But, you see, the thing is, we actually don't know. That's just one theory. Okay. We, will, we will probably never know, Patricia, but in coming back to the impact on Donal, the PTSD has haunted him sort of all of the time. And, like, the wonderful thing about now that he's been exonerated is actually he can start even at 77 years. New.
2: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
1: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
2: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply.
1: See site for details.
0: At 78 years of age, he he has the hope of starting again because poor Donald often said to me, I'm not going to live to see my name cleared. They want me to be dead. And he actually made me promise that I would keep on, that I would carry on, carrying on, on his behalf to clear his name, to clear for his family and for his two, you know, his two grown up children um, in America. And it was really important for us to, you know, to say that word, innocence. Our brother was always innocent.
3: And he went to the States just to get away from it all.
0: Oh, he did. Well, like Patricia. He He lost his country as well. He did, because Patricia, can I tell you what they stamped on his passport and our brother Connor put it up in front of the television on TG Cahar the other night, a blown up version of Donald's passport with three words, profession, deleted, officially, imagine that profession to lease it officially so if you were an immigration officer going or you know person going and this passport presented to you you'd say this person is like an undesirable yeah, and yeah. that not was of good character yeah. not of good character that was stamped officially in irish and english on his passport and like he was terrified he hasn't you know been to america back to see his children like for, you know for a number of years but we are hoping that we will be able to bring them to Ireland for a proper celebration, you know, in yeah. the spring. But, you know, Patricia, like, no matter what, like... And actually, I, I thought Donald was wonderful the other day because he said he wouldn't be able to speak. And he asked me to say the Coup de on his behalf. And in the end, he said, like, two sentences. But the first one said it all. He said, justice delayed is still justice. That's it.
3: That's and it. I thought that powerful. was a very powerful
0: thing. Powerful. Patricia, can I just say that the North Cork connection for us is so important. And I'm thinking of all of our relatives in Liscarroll, in Donnerale, and the surrounding area, our cousins, the John and Mary Murphy, and Dan Canty. I'm thinking of the retired postman in Lyscarol. People that really supported us and believed, you know, a son of their place too, even though, like, we are from Clandell, as well but they know the roots of our of our parents and thanks to Michael D Higgins, whose roots are also in North Cork in Liz in with the yeah, counties yeah. and I swear to god Patricia we had actually given up because and 4 years ago um when the president you know had settled into his presidency and he got in touch and he had always believed since 1997 when he was a part of my presidential campaign he he hadn't heard of Donald's case up to that time and it was always on his mind. And when he got that position of being Uhtar on the Heron, he actually took this on, took it under like his mantle and on his watch. And he drove on that review, which concluded only last week, Patricia. I, I Isn't, can't that, believe incredible it. Isn't it that incredible that out of
3: that very dark time in your presidential yes. campaign, yes. that yes. that actually solved it in the end?
0: Do you know what that is? I often say that to Donald when he, when he has the old few tears and just says, you know, he keeps on saying that he's so sorry and he's sorry for what happened with our parents and everything. But because he never reconciled with my father, even yeah. when my father was dying. So, I mean, it's so all of that brokenness. But I often said to him, Donald, for God's sake, OK, I met me Waterloo and all of that. And it was terrible at the time. And, you know, and, and but I just said, Donald, This wouldn't have come out because Don Mullen, who had never heard of the case either, the investigative journalist, he said, what's all this about Donald Roach and never even heard of him? And then he did the investigation, which went into the book, um, Speaking Truth to Power, which is a beautiful phrase. And and that actually was the basis what eventually became the case over the last number oh, it's of fantastic.
3: years. That's fantastic. I was, so, I was yeah. so thrilled for Donald and, and for uh. each, each and every one. You can have a fantastic Christmas and I can't have uh, you on the programme yeah. without asking uh. you about your work with the the children of uh. Chernobyl. How, how is it all going with everything that's on? Uh, and I know oh, I've spoken to you before sure. with with Ukraine and everything, but how is, how is yeah. your work going on the ground? Um, well, look, you
0: know, and thanks for asking, Patricia, because we're about you'll get the start of it now. We're about we'll be issuing a press statement on Paris uh, and Friday. I mean, a really major statement, but I'm going to tell you now, we actually managed to get in a 12-person cardiac surgical team into the front line of the war in Ukraine and they are currently there saving lives as we talk to each other. One of the doctors, wait for this, Patricia, as a story, a one-day-old baby who was not doing well on the operating table, and needed an immediate blood transfusion because they'd lost so much blood because of the heart defect. And the doctor gave his arm and linked his arm through the tube and directly gave the transfusion to the baby and saved that baby's life. My God. I mean, I, you know what? I, just, get, I, I just can't believe the power of that. Just extraordinary. These guys are going to be there until about two days before Christmas Eve. And they are quietly there, sometimes with intermittent uh, electricity. Electricity keeps
3: going off, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It
0: does. And, like, the great thing is we were delivering into the Chernobyl zone for Christmas. Now, this sounds, like, just so sad because we have no electricity. Like, we're delivering thousands of candles, 20-hour-long candles. We're trying to source solar lamps at the moment, but there are none to be had. But we will work on that over Christmas. We're sending in food, warm blankets. We're putting up doors and windows in houses in these villages where they were left bombed and broken, you know, after the invasion into that region in in Chernobyl. So we're working there all of the time to try and make a phenomenal difference. And in Belarus, we're still slogging away. We can't go into the country because of the sanctions, but recently... We got special permission for a team of all of our workers to come to the nearest country, Vilnius, and thanks to the Irish Embassy to help us to get humanitarian visas well out and where we were able to just reconfirm our commitment to the people because our covenant is with the people. It's not with the state. It's not with the government. It's with the children and with the people. And we will not be found wanting on that front, Patricia, even though we can't go there, The children, unfortunately, cannot come here. But, you know, we will have another day and we will be back in there helping and supporting. But the work continues. Well and done. that's the most important message for well
3: this done, Christmas. Well done. You're, you're an amazing team. Uh, Adi, as always, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for that. And uh, we look forward to that press release where uh, it's coming out later on in the week. But in the meantime, uh, thank you for joining us. And a happy Christmas if I don't speak to you before then. And
0: many happy returns to you to, and to Marsha and family as well. God bless. Take care. Take care. Bye, bless bye, bye bye. Bye bye.
3: That is uh, Adi Roach, uh, Chernobyl campaigner, but of course, joining us today talking about her brother, uh, Donald Rocha, and what happened to him over 50 years ago it, it, it struck me as I was doing some of the research on it last night we had Stephen Teep on earlier on in the fight that Stephen had uh, to get the truth and here we have a family have to fight over 50 years Uh, and yet they still don't absolutely have the truth of what happened but at least Dolan has been exonerated. 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. Now the Michael Collins Cork City Statue Project has now been officially launched with the City Council agreeing to provide a site for the statue on Patrick Street. To discuss the project and how it will be funded I'm joined by Tim Crowley and Tim is Chair of the Michael Collins 100 Committee. Good morning to you Tim. Good morning, Patricia. I'm thrilled to talk to you about this. Um, do you believe that this statue is long, long overdue in Cork City?
5: Uh, well, I, I think it is. Um, I suppose there is already a beautiful bust of Michael Collins in Fitzgerald Park by the, the famous uh, um, sculptor, Cork uh, sculptor Seamus Murphy. But. Um, I think the particular design that we've come up with for this statue, um, I think it it, it hasn't been done before and uh, of course it it will portray Michael Collins with with a bicycle and I mean the symbolism of that is very, very powerful because, as you know, he he ran the war against the British um, cycling around Dublin Mm -hmm. every day riding a bicycle and then he was collecting hundreds of thousands of pounds on the national loan riding the bicycle as well and in in many ways it kind of symbolises that generation, I suppose, of um, civilians who took on this imperial army and in the end, you know, forced the the, the British government to the negotiating table. So by any measure, I think um, the achievement of of the generation 100 years ago was huge. And we we think that this uh, statue will symbolise that.
3: So it'll be a life-size statue of him standing with the bike.
5: That's right. It, it, it will be slightly over life-size. Now, we're we're coming, we're, we're actually meeting the council this week, later on in the week, there to go to try and finalise the site. So, obviously, if if the site in Patrick Street will be kind of a bit enclosed, the statue might be slightly smaller, but if it's kind of more of an open site, the statue and, and the pedestal would be slightly larger. So, uh, But it, it will be slightly over life-size. That's the plan. And, and we're hoping to put him kind of among the people, the way he was mm. 100 years ago uh, war uh, And the remind
3: us where the idea for the statue came from.
5: Um, well, I suppose um, I was uh, discussing uh, this idea with a couple of our uh, my historian colleagues um, in, 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 in like some old scandal there and then so on because we felt that that particular pose was never used for any piece of public art as far as Michael Connors was concerned with the bicycle and, and uh We were looking at different sites, and then during this past uh, summer, um, we were approached by Councillor Shane O'Callan from Cork City Council and businessman Jory Carey, and they they put it to us, what about putting the statue in in, in Cork City? And uh, then Councillor O'Callaghan put the motion through the Cork City Council, and it was passed by a majority of uh, 22 uh, in favour and one against there in in, in September. So um, that's Kind of uh, the way the, 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 the background and the yeah.
3: st- and the sculpture you have selected is no stranger to working on Michael Collins as a subject.
5: Well, the, the, the sculptor we've, we've commissioned to do the, the work would be Kevin Holland, and of course he's based there in, in Mallow, and he, he also created the Michael Collins statue down in in, in uh, Santa Kilty, uh twenty years ago. Mm. And uh, there recently, Kevin, I thought it was a great line. He said, "The Michael Collins is the character of history that keeps on giving as far <laughs> as actors are concerned," yeah. because. There were so many aspects to his character and all the different roles he had and so on. So down in Santa guilty, Kevin puts uh, Michael Collins as the statesman making a speech. And now, I suppose, we're hoping to put Michael Collins as, as the rebel leader in the rebel city.
3: Uh, yeah. And amongst, I love that idea of him amongst the people as well. I think it's, it's terrific. Now, I hate to bring up costs, but I have to. How much do you expect it to cost and how are you going to raise that money?
5: Well, the, the the cost again, we we have to tweet the exact figure, but it will be just over 100,000 euro. And uh, we we set up a website there recently. It's www.michaelcollinsstatue.com. And if you go into that website, and it's pretty straightforward, go into the donate page, and you have a choice of donating to GoFundMe or you have the IBAN number there for our bank account. You can uh, donate that way as well. And of course, like twenty years ago, we also accepted the old-fashioned uh, system of checks and postal okay. orders. So we'd be del- delighted to accept any any contribution. And and, and I course- love
3: I love I read I read yesterday. I love the idea that you're going to issue people with a receipt, and this is important.
5: Well, we're we're copying uh, Michael Collins yeah. that way 100 years ago because as Minister for Finance, he um, launched uh, the National Loan uh, above in Dublin and everybody that gave the contribution were given an official receipt. I actually have one here that uh, was given to my grand-uncle, Michael Crawley, and we're actually, we, we've designed the, the new receipt based loosely on, on the original receipt. And, of course, there are three sections to the receipt. There's a little certificate that people will be given, which they can um, frame up on the wall if they wish. Um, and then the next section is, is, a, is a little counterfile that will go into a time capsule underneath the, the pedestal of the statue. And then the, the third section is for our records, obviously. Was, um so if this if, if work needs to be done in the statue in hundred years time or whatever, and if there's workmen and women working under, they might find the capsule underneath. Oh, I love the that! I lo- yeah. I
3: absolutely love that. And I also think the uh, you know the the fact that you're issuing a receipt, make, it'll make a nice Christmas present as well for if you're trying to somebody trying to come up with an idea for a Christmas present, maybe make the donation to the statue, and give the person the receipt.
5: Well, if if there's somebody that you want to give a present to and you're finding it difficult to come up with an idea, well, that might be an unusual one. Yeah, Uh, yeah,
3: yeah. It's terrific. So MichaelCollinsStatue.com. Have you a time frame, Tim, on when you hope to have it up?
5: Well, we're, um, the, the target is that uh, the, the plan is that we're going to get the statue made and uh, then present it to, to Cork City Council on behalf of everybody who has contributed to, to the fund and that the, the statue itself will be unveiled uh, uh, next August, which will be close to Michael Collins' 101st anniversary.
3: Anniversary. OK. All right. So that's the time frame. By the way, um, I've had Michael Collins very much on, on the brain this week. Are you watching that programme on RT, The History of the Civil War?
5: Oh am, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching it there now last night, and and I suppose the the next um, episode, no, tonight. Tonight's probably yeah. Particularly um, kind of terrible with you know all the incidents in Kerry Belly CD and all that kind of stuff. I'd imagine all that
3: are you are you enjoying? It's it's very well done, isn't it?
5: It is, and and of course it's it's based, I think, on uh, on uh, the you know the axis of the revolution that book that came out there a number of years ago. Yeah. I think uh, I think a lot of the people involved in this documentary will contribute to that as well. So it's um, no, it's very solid, and and you know it's it's a pretty sort of tragic period in our history. You know, yeah. to, to think what was going on 100 years ago at this time. You know, this, uh, Oh, listen, I
3: and I kept watching it last night, saying, "Oh, why did this happen? Why did this have to happen?" And of course, civil war there's never winners or losers. In civil war, because it's it's you know brother fighting brother, and it's just it's just horrifically sad when a country breaks down like that.
5: Well, I, I came across a story there. seemingly there was a convent of Saint Louis nuns up in uh, County Mayo during the Civil War, and they actually divided over the treaty. So, there anti-treaty nuns and pro-treaty nuns, and things got so bad. I think one one or other of the, the groups left and went off to France or something like that. So, even when the nuns were divided 100 years ago about what was going on, it it, it was just horrible. And and uh, I came across an interesting fact there that then from. Um, uh, 1890 to
3: 1980,
5: I think, with all the revolutions that happened all over the world, something like seventy percent of them later led on to civil war.
3: So we're not unique. Oh, I, I, we're absolutely not unique, but it's just, but it's it's great, and I, I mentioned it earlier as well to anyone who hasn't seen it, because I think tonight's the final one, isn't it? The three part. It is yes.
5: Yeah, three it. it, It's on it's the like RT
3: it. player. If anybody has missed it tonight and tonight it's leading up to and it's going to be the the, the, the death of Michael Collins. Did they get to that wait,
5: wait. I, I I I think it covered with Michael Collins. Oh, it finished for that. It did, sorry, it yeah, did, yeah. Last night. So, it's so Bally the, CD,
3: yeah, sorry, and yeah. All
5: that. Yeah, the med- yeah, and the aftermath med- and the, what happened with the, the, the wounds that had to be healed and all the that. Yeah,
3: because it's, it's yeah, actually, yeah, the, it, it said it's coming to the worst period of it. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's well worth watching. Listen, um, uh, Tim, as always, a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. And, and good luck with the Michael Collins Statue. Man. It's www.michaelcollinsstatue.com if people want to find out uh, more. And please uh, donate. Is it going well so far for you?
5: It's going well, but to be honest, I suppose we will really get stuck in now with them. lot of actually have pledged money to us and so on and we'll let them enjoy Christmas and we'll really get stuck into it there No, probably from the middle of January on. But, okay. uh, you know, if, if people have any friends in America whatever that would like to contribute to this unique project, well, they'll... They, they, point know, them the to
3: that. The website is great. It'll go around the world. Listen, Tim, have a great Christmas.
5: The same to you, Patricia, and uh,
3: thank you very much. And we'll talk again in the new year. God bless. Bye bye. That is uh, Tim Crowley, who is chairman of the Michael Collins One Hundred uh, Committee. 103, 103. Bernie, taking your call. You
2: are listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
0: This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on
1: C one zero three.
3: some people asking about what road conditions are somebody's wondering has anybody been out and about on the road from Macroom to Dunmanway. need to travel that road uh, later on I'm wondering what the conditions are well actually somebody has been on uh, Catherine was on to say anybody planning to travel because somebody earlier wanted to travel from Banteer to Cork and was worried about the roads uh, Catherine's been out and about and she says anybody planning to travel anywhere today simply needs to go easy Catherine says for example it's raining here or it was raining in Macroom earlier and some patches of the road are literally like glass, so go light, nice and slowly and of course if it rains, that's when you're going to get black ice and you can't see black ice, so you do need to be very, very careful. And then Eileen in West Cork says the Bantry line at uh, Cosson Gap was impossible. This morning cars were turning back and there was sleet on the road. People need to drive with extreme care and as I mentioned in the weather uh, forecast, because there's some wintry showers expected, they reckon that could lead to uh, hazardous driving uh, conditions. This cold snap with us until up to uh, Friday. And then Sean in Newcastle says he actually prefers the cold weather. He said you can wrap up and at least get out for a walk. He said the rain is what is uh, depressing. And and I think the cold snap when it leaves us and the temperatures are going to start to rise again I think it's going to be replaced by rain. So Sean you're not going to be happy happy to hear uh, about that. But there are always some people who prefer the cold weather. I just think the cold snap this year because of people worried about heating bills and the price of coal and blocks and home heating oil and gas and electricity. People are saying, you know, we've had two... The last two winters have been really mild and people were hoping that we would get a mild winter. We certainly have been mild up to this cold spell. We'd, when we were looking back at the figures for November, we had one of our, the mildest Novembers in quite some time. And that obviously helped people in their pockets because they didn't have to put on the heating so much. So I think, Sean, while I think a lot of people like this, you know, crisp, fresh kind of weather and it's very Christmassy looking outside, I just think with the cost of living crisis people would prefer if the temperatures went up a bit and if that means a bit of rain then so be it thank you for your uh, call and of course with the bad weather and more weather, bad weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow we are already getting cancellations in. somebody's on to say that the bingo tonight in the village in, in Enniskeen that has been called off due to the bad weather and we already mentioned earlier that the bingo in Bantir has been cancelled the Canturk community AstroTurf they've cancelled their AGM that was due to be held tonight Shambally Moore bingo for tonight that's off and the 45 car drive in Bohar has been cancelled tonight due to the adverse weather conditions and there's a one already in for tomorrow Wednesday the can Turk Flower and Garden Club they've got they were due to a Christmas Demonstration night tomorrow night Wednesday, but they've decided to cancel that in advance of expected bad weather. So a number of things have been called off. I mean, the whole idea is to try to keep everybody as safe as possible. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. Patricia, tell people to beware of a flood at a bend approximately two miles from Conna, on the Conna to Reiner Screener Road on the bend at a very busy junction. I wonder what's causing I wonder what's causing that uh, flood so please be careful. Connor to Riener Screener Screener Road on the bend it's at a busy junction so please just be very very careful and I suppose as always to expect the unexpected oh, 0818 103 103. someone else says thank you for all these updates the Dunman way to McCroom Road is fine just take it easy around Kilmichael Ambush area but other than that the Dunman way to McCroom Road is fine Oh, that's good because there's one uh, particular listener who wants to travel that road um, later on now um, And one of our regular listeners has been on, and this is to do with a story that started circulating, I think, on social media at the weekend. And the story is: let me go to, um, let me go to uh, Anne's commentary first. This is Anne said that: how can it be possible? For a young girl to die in Dublin of the cold with all of the people who are out helping the homeless at night, this story is so sad, says Anne. And what Anne is talking about is a story that was widely circulated on social media and it was reports of a young homeless girl Who uh, decided she'd take her chances and that she wouldn't go into one of the shelters and uh, she wouldn't take because you know all the services go out and encourage people to come in. We were only talking with Paul Sheen of the Simon Community, saying they they were doing the very same thing in Cork. But this girl decided she'd take her chances, and unfortunately, she was found dead the next day. Now, I saw all right when I saw it go up on social media, the report was coming from a homeless charity or a group working with the homeless in Dublin and it was they shared the story saying you're not going to hear about this on the main media um, nobody will talk about it it'll only be shared on social media and I was thinking hang on I take, that's, that's unfair uh, to make a sweeping statement like that that you won't see it on the main media because when you think in the past when other homeless people have died I mean I think in particular do you remember that gentleman who died in a doorway quite close to Leinster House a couple of years ago and there was uproar and rightly so that there was uproar uh, over it. So I think it's wrong to say that the media will just ignore it because it was a young homeless girl who had, you know, had been involved with the services and people didn't really care about her. Now, the original Facebook post that went up, nothing further to add to that. But I'm reading on um, Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, who is the editor of the Examiner. Obviously, they've been investigating the story as well, or trying to investigate the story. They say that the Gardaí are completely unaware of the uh, incident, and that when they, you know, contacted, obviously, that they contacted the press office um, to find out, you know, had a young girl died in a tent in Dublin, and they have no record of any report of any young girl dying. And if somebody dies like that in tragic circumstances, or as a sudden death as it would would have been, the Guards would have to have been uh, called. So anything that I could find out online or anyone who did report some of the online news services for example were reporting about this young girl uh, freezes uh, to death o- over the weekend and if you look into any of the reports that went up all of the reporting was from people commenting on tweets or Facebook there was nobody was able to ver- verify anything so again I'm, I'm, that's why I was slow to even start talking about it until I saw thank you to Michael in uh, Castletown Bear who alerted me to the fact that Deirdre uh, Shockancy uh, D, 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 D from the examiner put up up about the post that they've tried to get it verified as well and they can't. So I I don't think it's a true story. I genuinely, I, you know, I would, and, and half of me is hoping that it's not a true story but there's no way that if it is a true story that it will be buried, that it would be only people on social me- media would be commenting about it and that nobody else in the main media would would put up anything and also when I was trying to do some research on it yesterday to see try to get the story verified anyone who had put things up on online any media services that were trying to put things up online suddenly their posts were disappearing which leads me to believe that if their posts were disappearing they, they initially ran with the story and then they looked into it and that it wasn't uh, verified Uh, So, as I say, if anything else breaks on that story, I will bring it to you. But, you know, I would hate to think that people are using the homeless service and putting up these untruths because it, it really doesn't do anything for the wonderful homeless charities that are out there day in, day out. They're out there working with the people that are on the streets. They're unfortunately will always be a small percentage of people who will refuse all help and all services. Paul Sheen himself of Cork Simon said that, be it their mental health issues, there is addiction issues and there will always be people who will take their chances and that's why you have the likes of the Simon community and other charities going out there. They're out there every night in freezing conditions. They're out early in the morning, checking to see that somebody in a sleeping bag, how they are, getting them in to give them some heat, give them something warm to eat, and we get them to change their clothes, etc. We have just fantastic charities. And that's why if this story is made up, uh, and I've no way of knowing if it's made up or not, but all I can go on, we can't get it uh, verified it really doesn't help all those wonderful volunteers who go out and work tirelessly particularly during the in this typical cold spell they work tirelessly with the homeless trying to help them trying to encourage them uh, to come indoors I mean All of the shelters that are there for for rough sleepers during weather conditions like this, there literally isn't space. They've got people sleeping on the floor, but anything to get people in from outside. And I know there's often been calls as to why during cold spells like this, the government and the local authorities don't open up buildings and have as many, many buildings as we need opened up so that we can try and encourage more of these people, uh, more of these rough, rough sleepers. To come in off the streets and get them in to keep them safe during this uh, cold spell. Because sometimes, if there's somebody battling mental health, or perhaps somebody's battling addiction and they're trying to get off drugs or trying to get off drink and they don't want to be around people who may be still drinking, maybe still taking drugs. And if they have mental health issues, they won't feel comfortable in a space. If there's going to be eight or nine people all sleeping together in one room, you know, that they might need their own space. So maybe we need to open up bigger buildings. Empty buildings, you know, we can do it for and we have done it and rightly so we've done it for Ukrainian refugees. We've opened up buildings uh, for for asylum seekers that are coming into this country. Why can't we do it for the homeless as well, particularly during very cold spells uh, like this? Always one eight one zero three one zero three. Bernie's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103
0: 103 The C103 Cork Diary
3: With Cork
2: County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county see corkcoco.ie Best
3: of luck to the Slattery family in Leitrim outside Kilworth they're fundraising for the Cork Mental Health Foundation with their display of Christmas lights now the lights are on every evening from 5pm to 9pm and all donations are moved Welcome. The North Cork Stroke Group will hold a fundraising coffee morning. Now that's to be held Thursday morning from 10 a.m. to 12 noon. It's in the Mercy Centre in, Ma- in Mallow, raffle and spot prizes. Bingo in Mallow GAA Complex that goes ahead this Friday night at 815 with a jackpot of €4,100. All funds raised will go directly to the running of the GAA Club and teams for the coming year. And Fremont Music and Drama Group are performing a night of music, song and dance. It's in the community centre this Saturday at half past seven. You can come and see an array of very talented local adults and children perform acts from shows such as Les Mis and Annie. Also Irish music, song and dance admission, €10.00 secondary school children 5 euro and national school children are free and now WhatsApp in from um, Anna in uh, Bandon and I'm glad you sent this in because I spotted it in the paper earlier I said oh I must try and give a mention to that Uh, Anna says I wish more families would take the lead from the well-known actress Gwyneth Paltrow and what she is doing with her family and it's a story about Gwyneth Paltrow that she's banned her children from having mobile phones when they're sitting down to have any meal because she wants them to engage in great conversation and for everybody to sit and chat so when they win, if you're going to dinner at are going to Paltrow's house along with her children no phones allowed at the table and the Hollywood actress she also insists she's, she's two children her daughter is Apple and her her son is Moses she also insists that they all always sit down to dinner as a family and she says That is something that she has learned from her parents and she was speaking on a podcast and she said we felt this is she was talking about herself when she was a child. She said we felt very special being included at the dinner table, even though it was a nightly event. She said even with their family, if her parents had friends over, she said we as children always sat with them at the table and there was always long conversations held. She said it's something that I have now carried on with my uh, children. We always have dinner together as a family and no phones are allowed on the dinner table. You get into great discourse with them. You hear about things that they're thinking about and what they're getting up to. She said, I think my father made me feel that I was valuable during those dinners because he really elicited our opinions. He asked questions of me and my brother and he very much listened to what we had to say. She said, we, we as children were very much part of the uh, conversation. So she and she and she's she's no Hollywood diva. I'll give her that because she says the one thing she still does is uh, she cooks for the children, particularly on the weekends when she's you know, she's obviously maybe she's not always available uh, during the week uh, between uh, her commitments to uh, her brand Goop that has made her um, a millionaire many, many, many times uh, over. So she, but she always takes time uh, to cook for the children. And she said, Again, it goes back to her father, it was something her father loved. Uh, to do as well but it it is I think a great piece of advice if you can get children and it's something Anna, I'm with you 100% on this because it's a bugbear of mine and it's something I often talk about when I'm out, if I'm out having a meal watching other people sitting around all on their mobile phones but certainly at home I think it's an easy enough rule to bring in is to everybody around the table for dinner and I know people will say oh hang on it's hard and we're working and lives are busy and you don't always get a chance to sit around the table together but if you can try and do that as a family, for everybody to sit around the table, even for just one meal of the day. Everybody sits around but there's a complete ban on the phones and I suggest it's something maybe for Christmas dinner that people might try to do, have a bowl or something. Everybody puts their phone into the bowl and it's left there until after dinner and I love that after dinner part when you're just sitting there, you know, full bellies on you, you can't eat another thing and just sit and chat. There's something lovely about that and if you can get your your young sons and daughters, your teenage children and I know it'll be tricky with the teenagers, but just try. It's amazing the conversations that will open up. So thank you for your WhatsApp, Anna, to oh eight six two one oh three one oh three. And talking of the Christmas table and the Christmas dinner, we are going to be talking with Joe Heffernan about that around tensions around Christmas. Christmas can be great for... Most people, but for some, it can be very, a very, very delicate time and there can be all kinds of tensions that are going on. And just when I'm on about a Hollywood star, let me stick with some Irish news to do with Hollywood stars and to do with Irish actors. Uh, Kerry Condon, Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Donald Gleeson and Barry Cioham. And the Banshees of Inna Sheeran, the writer, director, Martin McDonough, were all amongst the nominees. I was so thrilled to hear this yesterday. It was the announcement of the nominees for the 2023 Golden uh, Globe. And of course, with Mark on our movie review, we reviewed the Banshees of Inna Sheeran, And actually, a lot of our listeners said they went along. I still I haven't seen it Night I was to go. I wasn't able to go at the last minute and I still haven't, haven't seen it. But it's meant to be an absolutely stunning movie. People who've gone to it said it's absolutely fantastic. So it is it's about feuding friends and, and their fall their fallouts. Uh, they've in total they've they've picked up eight nominations. I mean, the actors and add to the actors is Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleason, Kerry Condon, and uh, Barry Coham. But it's also one of the other awards it's been nominated for is for Best Film, Comedy and Musical. They're up against everything, everywhere, all at once. Glass Onion. Glass Onion is going to be really good as well, by the way. Uh, And Knives Out, Mystery, Babylon and Triangle of uh, Sadness. So we wish all of the Irish contenders in the Golden Globes, but particularly everybody involved in the Banshees of Inishir, we wish them the very best of luck. And the Globes will be broadcast um, the 10th of January next and usually what normally happens is if various movies and stars do well in the Globes it's usually a bit of a good indicator that they're going to do well in the Oscars Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. 103 103 Bernie continues to take your calls you can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103
6: 103.
3: And to help us all try to survive Christmas, Joe Heffernan uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe.
6: Good afternoon, Patricia. Now,
3: now, Joe, you know, I love Christmas. I'm one of those people that absolutely love it. But, I, you know, I do accept there are people that it isn't the season of joy and it isn't a fun time and it can be, it can cause anxiety for many people.
6: It can indeed. Um, uh, absolutely. And there was um a general public online barometer survey carried out by Behaviour and Attitudes on behalf of the Irish uh, Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy um, uh, in July of this year. And that survey, um, the findings were that two in three, 66% of Irish adults said that they had felt stressed often or sometimes in the previous two weeks and that almost three in five said that they had uh, felt anxious. So um, Christmas, uh, while it's, uh, you know, a season of goodwill, a season of happiness, a season when Santee comes, um, it, it can be very trying and anxious um, in some circumstances. Um, uh, you know, even a time of sadness, um uh, we used to be um six for Christmas and now of course Ken is over in the Cayman Islands um and um you know uh, has had a little setback um and uh, he'll be that'll be an empty chair at, at Christmas and um so that will bring its own
3: Yeah. Sadness Um, sadness in in your house. And we're we're going to look at various sort of different topics that can cause anxiety. But I suppose the first one is, and I mentioned this earlier, family tensions. And it's something that you say every year is that if you don't get on with somebody for most of the year, why are you suddenly going to get on with them at Christmas Day?
6: If, if things haven't been good for 364 days of the year, they're not going to magically and miraculously change on Christmas Day. Hopefully they might, but probably they wouldn't. Um, and therefore, somebody uh, who is going to, say, the family home or uh, whatever the circumstances, can feel very anxious about the day and... Um, And uh, instead of anticipating the day with joy, it can be anticipating the day with a certain amount of trepidation and anxiety. Um, uh, The expectations at Christmas, of course, of everyone says, Happy Christmas, and everyone is expected to be in that uh, uh, mood, mode. Um, uh, So, like, what can one do? Um, And... uh, I think uh, one of the things we will come across quite a bit in our little talk today would be a bit of planning. So maybe to have an exit strategy in mind when faced with a situation like that um, on Christmas Day. And that can be anything from having, you know, a ready-made excuse available if you need to step away, for example, my new year's resolution is to get a good long walk in every day, right, so off you go and um or it could be you know i'm 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 a tiny little bit headachy. I think I need to have a little lie down, and that means that you can retreat from the situation to a private place where you can either just rest and reflect and uh, et cetera or Maybe make a phone call um, uh, to a trusted friend. Um, Just uh, get yourself out,
3: get yourself out of the situation. And I do think when it comes to like family tensions and and as you say, you know, if you're not getting on with somebody 364 days of the year, it's most likely on the 365th you're not going to get on with them either. Ease up on the alcohol because alcohol can loosen the tongue and the inhibitions and you, the last thing you want is to say something and then you wake up on St. Stephen's Day with the fear thinking, I should never have said that.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be careful, um, uh, you know, to have a filter and um, think before talk. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. If things aren't great, um, you don't want to make them worse. And if things are good, you don't want to make them bad. Now, when you mention alcohol, of course, um, people who suffer from, you know, uh, alcoholism, for example, and who might be on a program of sobriety. Um, And there can can be pressure at um, times like Christmas because, um, you know, there's this attitude of um, uh, Christmas Christmas drinks and um, there can be, uh, with somebody who isn't thinking, um, you know uh, can be uh, go on, have a drink for the season yeah, minute. and some people it, won't, some people huh? won't,
3: some people won 't want to announce to everybody. I'm am going through a period of sobriety. You know, so yeah. so if somebody it gets offered a drink and the person refuses, accept that as a refusal. You don't need to go on go on, you know, do a Mrs. Doyle yeah, on absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah.
6: yeah, yeah. That and it's and, me it's, tated, yeah, and the it's, it's the yeah. same.
3: I know a lot of females will say, you know, when they particularly on Christmas if they're in say the early stages of pregnancy and they're not drinking and they don't want the whole world, you know, they're in the early stages of the pregnancy. Right. The pressure that can be put on young women I go on you'll have a drink what's wrong with you why aren't you having a drink you know what I mean? it's yeah. just it's. L- n- no, I, I had a really good friend of mine who said she constantly used the, used the excuse oh I'm on a very strong antibiotic and I'm not allowed to drink with it she was actually pregnant but she just wa- she just didn't want the world to know because she'd had a series of miscarriages so they were yeah. being very careful before telling anyone but yeah. she said exactly there was a period of about three months and the pressure no matter where she went with me, what's wrong with you that you're not drinking and she yeah. said it's not that she's a very heavy drinker so she'd constantly come up with lies so if somebody yeah. says no, it's no, leave it at
6: that. But if that doesn't work, well, then the little white lie can be no harm at all. Um, look, I I have to take a little drive later. Um, yeah, I that's never a great one, ever yeah. would take a drink and drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, the old chestnut that we've all um, either used or heard in our lifetimes, um uh you know, I'm 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 on a course of tablets at the moment and I'm not that, allowed um, to drink with them. Yeah. 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 yeah you yeah, know. Yeah. Just um So just, just and the, so that's point.
3: all about anticipating and if you are and, yeah. and I suppose if you are, you know, trying to get off the drink, avoid being in situations where there where there will be a lot of alcohol That's probably the Absolutely. best Absolutely. Yeah.
6: Absolutely. You don't want to be at some party until three AM and you're just wishing that you were somewhere else. Yeah. So now, again e- um, you know a bit of an excuse can be forgiven and for
3: yeah, for all forward planning eating disorders anyone with an eating disorder because outside of alcohol food we consume a lot of food over yeah. Christmas and everywhere we go there'll be lots of food and lots of treat, treats absolutely difficult time for somebody battling an eating disorder
6: absolutely totally it can be the worst time of year it can be viewed with high anxiety um you know and again uh the bit of planning um uh, i know that you've had body wise on in your time there um on c103 and um you know uh, maybe to make contact there ask a bit of advice or um uh maybe um in the lead up to christmas it's a bit late to be saying this now But uh, if one is attending um, a therapist, um, for example, um, you know, someone who is accredited by the uh, IACP, um, to make a phone call and to maybe ask, could you fit in um, a quick um, uh, appointment uh, before the Christmas time, but um again you you need uh, people need to respect what a person says. Um uh yeah, like we would have a, a member or two now of family, an extended family, um who would be um a vegetarian and um you know, when they call over the Christmas um we certainly won't be putting up a plate of uh, turkey and ham. <laughs> um we will just respect yeah. um their uh preferences and um and it won't uh, we won 't have to be total or total geniuses to work out uh, what might be um, a nice meal without um without
3: meat yeah
6: without meat okay
3: now bereavement bereavement is always the difficult yeah. one and and we've we just we 've discussed this many many uh, times before i I always feel for people on their their first Christmas. But the second and third Christmas can be as difficult.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's an empty chair. There's someone who would have been at the table. And um, the very fact their presence is really felt by their absence, uh, if that makes any sense. And um, especially the first Christmas. Now, I know that today is the 13th of the month. And next Tuesday is the 20th. And on the last um, Tuesday before Christmas... We always cover bereavement yeah, yeah. at Christmas, and we will. And we
3: absolutely, yeah, and we absolutely will. We we, we will yeah. cover it uh, next yeah. week, just to, and and I'm conscious of you know that really sad story that's coming out of Ballingeri this morning of a, of a oh woman being killed. I mean, just and just before Christmas, it's just, it's just the, there's never a right time for a tragic death like that, but just before Christmas just makes it harder. So we will deal with uh, bereavement and advice absolutely. around that next week. And yeah. and and, and so those
6: little boys in in England. Oh my! My, I listen. I, was, I opened about. the
3: papers this morning, and I'm, I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm getting really bad about reading some of those stories. Yes. I, I had to stop reading it because I said I'm going to get too upset yes. before before oh, I go. It's on. It's it. Particularly the little ten year old who, who put who who went to rescue the others you know what i yeah. mean it's just awful awful yeah. awful separation yeah. and and divorce i spoke
6: with well no this I, I spoke about parental
3: people. alienation actually on the program i had a really good guy on about uh, parental alienation uh, yeah. and that very much ties in separation and divorce particularly around christmas
6: yeah and it's a time for um again um planning and um having a parenting plan um Uh, When there are children involved, it's, um, you know, uh, to make Christmas as um, enjoyable and pleasant for them as possible. So not to compete in any way, to make an arrangement. For example, um, the children this year might be with their dad on Christmas Eve and with their mum on Christmas Day. And then the agreement being that next year, when, please God, everyone is um, uh, alive and well, that, um, that that would be reversed. And this would be, um, you know, a mother on Christmas Eve and Dad on Christmas Day. And just to kind of agree to that and, um, and to say, uh, to have it tension-free, um, uh, to avoid um, as much as possible any upset um, for the children. And that would involve, like, not competing with the presence, um, you know, that... Uh, Someone's it,
3: able it, to afford more than others. And, uh, yeah, exactly, yeah.
6: And, and and not to kind of, as it were, um, um, uh, make that obvious by one person buying uh, very expensively and the other person not being able to do that. So just to have a little bit of tact and a little bit of um, kindness... Uh, whatever else we need at Christmas, we need kindness.
3: Communication. Try to get the parents to communicate. Absolutely.
6: That's what's Absolutely. And then very finally and the one that probably is
3: going to cause the most anxiety this Christmas more than ever, and that's financial stress.
6: Absolutely. I mean you you can't you you know, um whether it's the papers, the radio, the television, the whatever, um, uh the cost of living has gone through the roof. and um, uh the, the basic things it's it's not the luxuries um it's um heat light food um these have all had i mean we used to hear it would be front page in the paper i don't know 50 years ago and the point has gone up by one penny and that would be a big news nowadays it's like um the electricity bill has been increased by 100% since um whatever june july um so it's 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 kind of crazy it's um it's it's they they are increases that we've never ever been used to um and food uh, has gone sky high uh, as as well so that like um and and our nature uh, is to be generous and to maybe overspend on gifts at Christmas. And maybe this year we need to, again, to plan and to budget mm. and to kind of say that's what's coming in and that's what's going out. And if the going out is bigger than the coming in, well, then we're, we're building up a, a, a problem. So... Maybe a list, um, you know, um, ju- just to to put it down on paper. Um, um, uh, these are the people that uh, we will be giving a gift to this Christmas. And, you know, to cost it out a bit. And it's and funny, I think if
3: you pick up the phone and talk to maybe another family member to say, look, will, will we pass on exchanging gifts, the person on the other end of the line will probably be thrilled that somebody's taken the initiative first. Because everyone, you know, everyone is in the same boat and of course, it's, you know, it's not just in this country. This is a worldwide issue. I mean, even our nearest neighbours, I was just seeing a report that broke this morning coming out from Londoners uh, who were surveyed talking about the cost of living and like 77% of Londoners who were surveyed cited the cost of living as the most important issue facing the capital. And, you know, London would be known as quite a wealthy uh, city and 77% of their population. So, it's, you know, it isn't just in Ireland. So maybe, you know, be the first to make that gesture to somebody to say, look, when we pass on the gifts, person on the other side of the phone might be thrilled to hear you say it.
6: Absolutely. And I was reading an advice thing, you know, from the uh, budgeting service, um, MABs And um, uh, as they put it, um, you do not want uh, the ghost of Christmas spending to haunt us in the new year. So... And even in this age, um, I I don't agree with places that are, um, you know, uh, card only, card only, no cash. You know, at at my age now and people my age, we'd be used to, um, we'd pay for our goods over the counter and we we would expect that that would be acceptable. And I think it is in most places. But even in this age of the so-called cashless society, it can be really, really, really helpful to pay cash where possible because it's you feel like it's real money that you're well, handing you, Yeah, over. You
3: know what you're spending and there isn't a danger that you're going to run into debt or spend money that's not there.
6: Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, whereas yeah. the kind of the, the cash, the, the cow business can be sort of painless at the time until it comes home to roost in January.
3: OK, and I know for people who are struggling with energy bills at the, mo- at the moment, the government just this morning have um, launched a fund to help people struggling to pay their energy bills. I think it's 10 million has gone into the fund to address energy poverty. And way. rightly so it went, it went before the cabinet this morning and it has been um, approved. So that's, that's, a, that's a little bit of good news. OK. Good. Listen, we'll be back, as I say, we'll talk next week and, and particularly we'll be aiming next week's chat at anybody with bereavement, be it a first year bereavement or, or you're still struggling with a bereavement from a previous year. As always, pleasure to talk to you, Joe. Have a lovely week. Stay warm.
6: Thank you, uh, Patricia. We'll staff. be trying very hard to Ta- stay warm. Take
3: care. Take care. Joe Heffernan right. runs a counselling practice in Bohobwe. His number is 086 834 8145. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing. And we are back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10. On the land, Patricia Messenger. Good very today. good afternoon. Stay warm.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.